This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Tracy Bumgard, driving the show with Jolani Tulo and Neto Chamani. The top stories on Africa Digest this hour. Nigeria hosts an anti-corruption summit. Ugandan health authorities record the first case of Ebola after a five-year-old boy became the first cross-border victim of the highly contagious disease. In economics, Algeria's former Prime Minister Abdel Malik Selal remanded in custody after appearing before a judge as part of an anti-corruption investigation. And in sport, the International Cricket Council urges commentators at the World Cup to be fair in their observations. But first, the news with Jualani. Thank you, Tracy. Good afternoon. At least 40 people have been killed and dozens injured in raids by armed bandits in eight remote Nigerian villages. Emergency services say groups of gunmen riding motorcycles stormed into the farming and herding villages in Shiroro district of central Niger state on Sunday, firing indiscriminately and stealing cattle. Niger State Emergency Management Agency spokesperson Ibrahim Audu Hussein says search and rescue teams are still recovering bodies in the bush and the final tour will be announced at a later stage. A second person has died in Avibola in Uganda after the disease spread there from the DRC. Health officials say the latest victim was the grandmother of a five-year-old boy who died earlier this week. The BBC's Dear Gian reports. Uganda's health ministry says her body will be buried in Uganda. The third confirmed case is her three-year-old grandson. He is in isolation together with seven other family members. Ugandan and Congolese health officials yesterday agreed to repatriate five of the suspected Ebola patients. Health officials in the DRC have also identified 12 members of the same family and put six of them under isolation. Meanwhile, Tanzania says it is well prepared to combat Ebola. Health Minister Umi Limo was reacting to news that the disease had crossed from the DRC to Uganda. Tanzania shares a long border with the DRC when a, where an Ebola outbreak has killed nearly 1,400 people. In a Twitter message, the minister says that, that Tanzanians should not worry about the spread of the virus. According to the International Labour Organization, more than 100 million girls and boys aged 5 to 17 are found in child labour globally. In marking World Day against child labour on thir- on Wednesday, rather, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, raised concern that the number of children in child labour and agriculture is increasing rather than decreasing. FAO's burnt uh, safert. Circumstances have increased uh, the problem. Um, take climate change, for example, where in, in a good number, for example, also in Africa, more families are on the move because it's getting too dry in, in the area. They can't continue farming. Um, and there are other examples how, how the climate change uh, has triggered uh, more, more child labor. Also, um, 
conflicts and natural disasters um, where more, uh, more and more families are on the move have um, increased the problem of child labor in agriculture. And finally, former British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson has won an overwhelming victory in the first ballot to choose a new leader for the governing Conservative Party. Johnson received 114 votes, Jeremy Hunt was second with 43, and Michael Gove third with 37 votes. The winner is expected to be in place as Prime Minister next month. The BBC's Rob Watson has the story. The idea that he was the clear favourite has been borne out by the votes so far. So the nearest rival was Jeremy Hunt, who is currently the, the Foreign Secretary, and he, he got 43. So at this point, you would have to think that those are the two who are likely to get through to the wider vote amongst Conservative Party members. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Jolani. If there is any vast that has enjoyed tremendous publicity in the world media, it is the alleged level of corruption in Africa. Western nations have made it a major headline in their relationship with African nations, and Nigeria has a rather uninviable mention on the corruption chart of organ like Transparency International. Therefore, taking a cue from the Koba citizens to give the fight about, Abuja organized an anti-corruption summit to look at the course of events in dealing with corruption as it marks Democracy Day at the heels of President Muhammadu Buhari's second term in office. Collins Atohengbe reports that guest speakers at the event included Rwandan leader Paul Kagami and Professor Patrice Lumumba, former director of the Kenyan Anti-Corruption Agency. There's a sense of urgency when it comes to taking steps that could help redeem one's nation from the pit of failure, especially if the desire is to prove to the cities that work is ongoing. The fight against corruption is one of such steps that should not be taken in the dark where results will not be seen and felt. Thus, as part of the events to commemorate Democracy Day in Nigeria, one of the government's anti-graft agencies, the Economic and Financial Crime Commission, EFCC, hosted an international conference both to highlight its successes and to find a pathway to further tighten the nose on corruption. One reason corruption has remained unassailable is because for so long quite a number of efforts have been directed at the shadow of the monster. President Paul Kagame says the affluent are the main beneficiary of corruption. We tend to focus on the petty corruption of everyday life while turning a blind eye to the more consequential forms that people only whisper about because the rich and the powerful are the main beneficiaries. To be able to take a debilitating blow that will sweep corruption out of Africa, Kagame says there is the need to stop seeing corruption as an African vice especially because the sources and beneficiary of corruption are not domiciled in Africa. We must discard the myth that corruption is endemic to particular cultures. Corruption is a universal weakness, not an African one. And it is not part of our destiny as a continent. Indeed, research has shown that some of the biggest sources and beneficiaries of corruption are outside of Africa. When somebody gives you addictive drugs with one hand and offers the cure with the other hand, it is not altruism, but a form of control 
that encourages passivity. One reason corruption seems to be deeply rooted in Africa could be the fragility of our national structures where ethnicity tends to be used in judging many issues. Professor Patrice Lumba, director of Kenya School of Law, says this makes fighting corruption a difficult task. He says impunity must be killed outright. The impediment in the fight against corruption is that there is a sense in which in many African countries we have even ethnicized corruption. So that if an individual who is corrupt is arrested in a multi-ethnic country such as Nigeria or Kenya or the Democratic Republic of Congo, he or she will recruit people from their ethnic group and say that he is our thief. If we are to fight corruption successfully, the political leadership in Africa must, in the nature of things, demonstrate that impunity will not be tolerated. And I think it is not going to be easy, but it can be done. The dividends of a corruptless society are so obvious that if we don't embrace them and understand them, then we are not getting the right thing. And in the fight against corruption, it is also incumbent on those who are in political power to ensure that nobody is treated as a sacred cow. Whilst there has been much budgetary allocation to the war against corruption, not much has been done to meet the needs of the larger society through wealth creation for all to benefit from. President Kagame says this requires transparency. Without transparency, it is impossible to earn and keep the trust of the people. And without trust, we will not be able to effectively use national wealth to make measurable improvements to the well-being of our citizens. It is not enough to fight corruption just as merely fighting poverty. We want to create value, we want to create wealth, not merely fighting corruption. Speaking from experience as an anti-corruption crusader, Professor Lumumba says there is the need to create a new African whose character must be free of corrupt tendencies because the next generation of Africa as it is now sees nothing wrong with corruption. There was a time when I believed naively, of course, that the next generation is a generation that will be slightly better than our generation. But I'm quite clear in my mind that holding all factors constant, the younger generation is, in my view, even more dangerous to Africa. The next generation of Africans is waiting for the opportunity to be thieves. And people condemn corruption sometimes, not because they hate it, but because they themselves don't have the opportunity to be corrupt. I think what we must do is to create a new African, an African who has integrity, an African who believes that there is honesty, and that can only be done if we punish the corrupt. Impunity is one of the problems. In Nigeria's situation, the government says it will not give corruption a breathing space because all arms of the law enforcement and the whole society will be sensitized to hunt down corruption and corporates will be brought to book. Here is how President Buhari puts it. I urge all law enforcement agencies and the judiciary in Nigeria and across Africa to tackle financial corruption in our political system. Uncontrolled electoral spending and voter inducement by politicians must be combated if we want to consolidate true democracy and good governance. Now that corruption is known not to be African, it is hoped that citizens will join with their governments to effectively sweep it of the continent. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Colin Sosato Ingwe for Channel African News.
Vladimir Putin's ascent to power 19 years ago has had a profound effect on Russia's film industry. Spooks, spies and assorted men in uniform are now a permanent fixture on Russian TV and cinema screens. BBC Monitoring's Francis Scar has been looking at this less explored aspect of President Putin's rule. Switch on a TV set in Russia and chances are that before too long you'll hear something like this. In the series Sleepers, Secret Service operative Andrei Rodionov bravely defends his motherland against terrorists sponsored by undercover American agents. His subject is close to Vladimir Putin's heart, a former KGB spy himself who served in East Germany. Since becoming president, Putin has brought his fellow Secret Service operatives not just to the top echelons of power, but also to the silver screen. The films featuring spooks often present a version of events distant from reality. Countdown includes a highly doctored retelling of a 2002 terrorist attack in Moscow. In the film, a major from the KGB's successor, the FSB, completes a daring rescue mission to save a circus audience after they're taken hostage. But in the actual Dubrovka theatre siege on which the scene is based, 130 hostages died in a notoriously bungled operation. The FSB cares so much about this genre that it has even set up its own prize. It rewards productions for containing what it calls the positive image of a state security officer. Alia Kalugin, a former KGB general now living in the United States, believes that this is how the government manipulates public opinion. Given that uh, former intelligence operatives are in charge of the Russian state now, and that includes the president himself, the whole attitude has changed. Even though the Cold War is over, it is obvious that Russia wants its people to think that foreign powers, especially in the West, are enemies of Russia and its government. Ksenia Larina, a journalist and expert on the Russian media, says the Kremlin is using traditional Soviet-style propaganda to keep the Russian people behind it. The main reason behind this is to provide support for the Russian government's official ideology, in cinema, in literature, in the media, and of course on TV. Many in uniform are heroes again, and people are supposed to look up to them. We've seen it all in the Soviet era and in other dictatorships. Our propaganda has nothing new to offer here. State-controlled TV channels do not hold back when talking up Russia's intelligence services in their news bulletins. The center specialists have been involved in solving tasks of unprecedented complexity. Across every TV format conceivable, agents are typically portrayed as heroic defenders of the nation. And with Vladimir Putin at the helm, spooks don't look like leaving Russian screens anytime soon. That report by the BBC's Francis Scar. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Hi, Nelson Odessa Mandela. And I solemnly and sincerely promise that we'll always promote all that will advance the Republic and oppose all that may harm it and maintain the Constitution and all other law of the Republic. I, Matamera Sir Ramaphosa, swear 
that I will be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. So help me God. Channel Africa. Ugandan health authorities have recorded the first case of Ebola after a five-year-old boy became the first cross-border victim of the highly contagious disease that has killed more than 1,400 people in neighboring Democratic Republic of Congo. James Shimanyula reports. The death from Ebola of the five-year-old boy has been confirmed by Uganda's Minister of Health, Jane Aseng. At a press conference in the capital Kampala, the minister says several other people that crossed into Uganda from Congo have been tested for Ebola and results show that they are positive. In the Ebola treatment unit, the five-year-old who tested positive first, who passed away at 9.30 p.m. last night, right now his grandmother and his, his younger brother, three-year-old, have also tested positive bringing us to a total of three confirmed cases. We have seven suspects. Uganda's Health Minister Jane Aseng explains what her ministry plans to do now that Ebola cases have been confirmed in the country. The Ministry of Health, WHO and CDC will undertake ring vaccination of contacts to the case and other non-vaccinated frontline health workers as well as other workers beginning 14th June 2019. Uganda's preparedness has been converted into a response mode. That was Uganda's Minister of Health, Jane Aseng. Francis Iwa, Uganda's Director of an NGO known as CARE and Assistance for Forced Migrants, says there is a possibility that many citizens of the Democratic Republic of Congo may have crossed into Uganda using routes that are not controlled or monitored. There are a lot of informal crossing points that people pass through. They have relatives across the border and they cross anyhow. For us, we are stationed at official uh, border points that the immigration people have gazetted. Sometimes they cross when we are not at, at the station. We close the border at 7 and so our screening team also leave the border points at 7. Emergency Preparedness and Response Manager of Uganda Red Cross, Paul Okot, confirms that indeed, apart from controlled border areas, there are other routes that citizens of the Democratic Republic of Congo can use to enter Uganda undetected. When the authorities in the DRC block access of these individuals through designated entry points where there are screening facilities for Ebola, it forces many of the individuals to actually cross into Uganda through porous entry points. Now that poses a problem. You do not then track who is coming into the country. Uganda's declaration of the first Ebola case has scared many citizens of the East African country. Here is one of them. I feel so scared. It is a disease which is strange. You may not even detect that you are suffering from Ebola. It may be important to point out that the declaration of the first case of Ebola in Uganda is likely to put pressure on the World Health Organization to declare the Ebola outbreak the second deadliest in history.
declaration of the first Ebola case in Uganda comes at a time when the World Health Organization has confirmed more than 2,000 cases of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo since August with more than 1,400 deaths. It may also be imperative to bring to light that five countries sharing borders with the Democratic Republic of Congo have enhanced Ebola preparedness. The countries are Burundi, Rwanda, Sudan, South Sudan, and now Uganda. Meanwhile, the authorities in South Sudan have set up special places for screening people crossing into the country from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. A few months after Malawi signed technical and commercial agreements with Mozambique, the interconnector deal, business captains and economists want speedy implementation. This as Malawi's current power source continues to encounter a lot of challenges, forcing Malawi not to provide sufficient power supply. George Mango reports from Blantyre. Through the interconnection, Malawi will tap 50 megawatts from Mozambique starting in 2022 and the longest power generation mix consists of 90% generated from water at the moment. The last time Malawi and Mozambique officials met to seal the deal was in April in Lilongwe and this time around it is all about finalizing the remaining technical and logistical issues. Africa Business Group Chief Executive Officer Michael Surakasa recently advised Malawi authorities to invest in power supply to entice serious foreign investors. I think the investment in electricity uh, is critical because you really can't do much in terms of your investment development without having access to electricity. Malawi depends much on hydropower and generates 90% of power from water, but the current situation of climate change is not doing well for Malawi. This means that climate change has negatively impacted levels of water, thereby affecting reliability of power supply in Malawi and the interconnector is said to be ideal for the country. Business captains feel hurt with blackouts and their hope is in the interconnector. This is the gospel that we have been hearing for quite a long time after uh, the installation or commissioning of a new transformer or uh, yeah, I can, I can just say transformer. Every time we are told uh, electricity will improve but most of the times what turns out is totally different and taking the experience that we have had before I don't think I should have any expectation that things will improve I don't think so survival now is becoming hard because it means that you you, shall, you just go to buy the available things which are not even worth it to but I'm just appeal to the government that at least they should have pumped no more money to the electricity supply commission of Malawi so that they can upgrade their machines because the machine which they are using now is the same machines we are using in 1970, 1980. So the demand is high but their supply is low now. That's a problem. It is not helping us. Even if you go to work, the same thing, you find the blackouts. You cannot even do anything. Wherever you go, you find it's a blackout, blackout, blackout. Authorities have all this time admitted that interventions aimed at addressing the load shedding problems like the use of generators are expensive to run. 
Maputo said Malawi and Mozambique are in good terms and sharing resources should not appall anybody as it will also help in boosting economies of both countries. Immediate past Trade Minister Henry Musa hinted that government has lined up various plans to boost the energy sector. So what we've done is to group them into categories. There's those that follow into a short-term category. Within six to, to nine months, power is on, including the two gensets we hear about, uh, diesel uh, engines, some into the middle or medium term category and then those in the long term category. There has been a long dialogue involved to reach the agreement, but Mozambique will start to deliver 50% once the project is completely done. Development partners that have rendered financial support to the project have aided both countries to speed up the processes to make the project mature. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blanta. The burden of unemployment is concentrated among the youth aged 15 to 34 years as they account for 63.4% of the total number of unemployed persons. This is according to Statistics South Africa, the National Statistical Service of South Africa, which further states that almost four in every ten young people in the labour force do not have a job with the unemployment rate within this group at 39.6% in the first quarter of 29. Sarah Pelomofo-King, Head of Learning and Development at Maui Insurance, an insurance company in South Africa, says that South Africa needs to tackle youth unemployment and skills development head-on. More on this from Head of Learning and Development at Maui Insurance, Sarah Pelomofo-King. Youth month means a lot to me. I mean, as a, a young black uh, South African that I grew up, that grew up in Soweto, um, I'm, I'm actually the product of unemployment. So for me, working in corporate South Africa, youth month means I must actually take a stand and contribute positively to help with unemployment in South Africa, especially for our youth. Mm. Yes. It is said that um, youth unemployment is arguably the single best challenge facing South Africa. What can you say about that? Well, I can, I can agree with that statement. I mean... Um, According to Stats SA, I mean, youth unemployment is sitting at 38% in, in, in the country. So it is a challenge. Um, what are the changes you propose South Africa should enroll to reduce the high percentage of um, unemployment youth? Well, it starts, with, it starts with doing it for the right reason. It starts with us making a commitment. It starts with corporate South Africans taking a stand and saying, um, there are people out there without jobs. There are young people out there who've just completed metric, who've just completed their university studies, and they don't have jobs. So what are we going to do as corporate South Africa? We make a commitment and say, we're going to employ these people or these youth because they are the future of South Africa. We're going to give them the skill that they need in the working environment and give them the opportunity to be in the working environment. Mm. And we employ them without experience mm. because where do you expect them to get the experience if they've never worked before? So we need to take a stand and say, we'll employ you without experience, we'll give this opportunity, and there are, there are projects, there are, there are programs out there that can help with this. And what advice would you give to companies out there with regards to tackling youth unemployment in South Africa? 
Well, what I can say is, remember there is legislation that says um, you need to employ a certain uh, youth, especially blacks. So we're saying, let's not, let's not do it because of the legislation. Let us do it because it's the right thing to do. So I'm saying to them, can we as corporate South Africa take a stand? Can we say, let us employ our youth? Because remember, technology is, is taking over. Innovation is taking over. Mm-hmm. So the young minds are going to bring that innovation drive in the company. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's take a stand and let's, take, let, let's make a difference in the community and employ these people and, and give them the opportunity to get a qualification and the skills that they need. And before I let you go, what do you have in mind to celebrate Youth Month? <laughs> so mm-hmm. for me, is to go back to those schools, is to engage with the youngsters, is to tell them my stories, is to give them hope and say, you know what, with education, nothing is impossible. That's Sarah Pelomofo King, Head of Learning and Development at Maui Insurance on the line talking to Lebo Mabange. Abari, etise, mache, mingabo, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Time now for our news headlines with Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Tracy. Making headlines, at least 40 people have been killed and dozens injured in raids by armed bandits in eight remote Nigerian villages. Tanzania says it is well prepared to combat Ebola. Health Minister Umi Mwalimu was reacting to news that the disease had crossed from the DRC to Uganda. And finally, former British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson has won an overwhelming victory in the first ballot to choose a new leader for the governing Conservative Party. For Channel Africa, I'm John. Thank you, Jolani. The number of children in child labor and agriculture is increasing rather than decreasing. This is one of the issues that was raised by United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, in commemorating World Day Against Child Labor. Worldwide, 108 million girls and boys aged 5 to 17 are found in child labor. 70% are working in agriculture, including farming, livestock, forestry, fishing and aquaculture. For more on this issue, here's the FAO's Bernard Seifert. The 12th of June is the day when the world gives attention to the situation of those children who are trapped in, in child labor. And many organizations around the world use this to advocate uh, um, on the topic and to create more awareness about how many children are really trapped in child labor. And so yesterday we, for example, organized uh, the European Commission in Brussels, in Belgium, 
together with the International Labour Organization, a large event, giving in particular attention to child labour in agriculture. Mm -hmm. why, why this focus? So out of the 152 million um, children who are trapped in child labour, 71% or in terms of numbers, 108 million girls and boys between the ages 5 and 17 are working as child laborers in agriculture, which includes not only farming, but also livestock, forestry, fisheries, and aquaculture. Mm. So we have a very high concentration of the problem in the agricultural sector. Mm. Despite international efforts to tackle the problem since 2012, the number of children in child labor in agriculture has increased by 10 million. What has been done to tackle this problem? Well, a lot has actually been done, but unfortunately the focus has not been on all children who are found in being child laborers in agriculture, but has mostly concentrated on addressing child labor in global supply chains. So, for example, um, those children who work in the context of cocoa and tea, coffee, um, bananas, other crops. So, we are only reaching a very limited number if we continue to only work um, in particular on this globally uh, global value chains. So, therefore, we are for many years actually on the FAO side working uh, in all kinds of uh, child labor situations in, in agriculture, be it working at, at the policy level, capacity development, having concrete programs in, in certain regions and, and countries and uh, also certain commodities. Um, but what, what is really clear and came out yesterday also very strongly um, when experts met in Brussels on this. Um, that we need to shift attention if we want to reach really the goal of, of ending all child labor um, in the future. And the current goal is to reach it within the next six years, which nobody believes still is realistic. Mm -hmm. But if we at all want to achieve that goal, we have to change direction. We have to go beyond global supply chains and look into child labor in agriculture in all situations. And that includes child labor and agriculture in regional supply chains, in domestic supply chains, in very local supply chains, but also in subsistence farming because we know from the ILO statistics as well that the vast majority of, of child labor is non-paid family work mm. and household poverty is a common cause of child labor and, and that's due to an economic and often also functional dependency on child labor. So a pure labor law enforcement doesn't approach doesn't take us very far. We we have to address root causes, and among them certainly household poverty. So why is the number of child in labor and agriculture increasing rather than decreasing? That's an important question. Unfortunately, the the latest available data in the global report on on child labor from the International Labor Organization does not go into a, a, a statistical analysis of that would allow to answer you that question, your question precisely. However, we do know from working in the field that circumstances have increased uh, the problem. Um, take climate change, for example, where in, in a good number, for example, also in Africa, more families are on the move because it's getting too dry in, in the area. They can't continue farming. Um, and there are other examples how, how the climate change uh, has triggered uh, more, more child labor. Also, um, 
conflicts and natural disasters um, where more, uh, more and more families are on the move have um, increased the problem of child labor in agriculture. Mm-hmm. But as I said, in general terms, household poverty is, is among uh, the main causes that continues uh, to be a problem. But all, of course, there are other um, um, dimensions like lack of access to um, to education in some parts of, of the world or to quality education that farmers or and also parents in general receive is relevant for sending their children uh, to school. Also, the hazardous nature of, of agriculture itself is, is one of the factors that we need to look at because um, agriculture is among the three most uh, hazardous sectors to work in. So if children at a certain age group who on the one hand have already reached the minimum age of employment, so in most countries that would be 14 or 15, if they spray pesticides, for example, it would still be considered hazardous work and therefore be child labor. So th- th- this is one area where FAO has also worked a lot to, to actually convert situations of hazardous child labor into, uh, into ones of, of youth employment, because if a 16-year-old sprays pesticides in the field, and a lot of children do, Mm. Mm. that are hazardous. But if we would have then in place alternative practices that are safe and do not make use of these hazardous uh, chemicals, then we can convert even a situation of child labor, hazardous child labor, into, into youth employment. That's Bernard Seafit, a food and agriculture organization expert on the line talking to Lebohang Mabange. In celebration of Youth Month in South Africa, the Khalema Motlanti Foundation and Flipton Venture Builder will traverse South Africa to deliver a series of high-impact education-driven initiatives with a focus on youth empowerment for high school learners. From today until June 15th, Artificial Intelligence in Africa heads to Johannesburg, South Africa to partner with the Gauteng Provincial Government and African Women and Youth Foundation at the 5th Annual Gauteng Youth Career Jobs and Entrepreneurship Expo in Nasrik. For more on this, Lebohang Mabange spoke to technology advisor at Khalema Mutlanti Foundation, Mustafa Zayuni. Artificial Intelligence in Africa, or AI in Africa as we call it, is a social impact program of the Khalema Mutlanti Foundation and Flipping Venture Builders. And one of the focus is about preparing young people for tomorrow's economy, uh, where the future of work is rapidly changing, and requires new skills. So um, in, in this case, um, we are you know, preparing a lot of uh, work around um, critical thinking, collaboration, communication, uh, fourth industrial revolution skills using AI, but also ethics around AI. And all of these programs and theories actually are, are funded, uh, are start with, start with uh, design thinking as a methodology, which enable to actually uh, create, uh, identify the problems better and uh, create a human-centered uh, approach to resolve this problem. Why is this a girls-only boot camp? So this theory is on um, is targeted at girls in the previously disadvantaged communities. It's mostly because um, in um, in the STEAM and the STEAM careers, um, girls are underrepresented. Uh, in the communities also, um, it is also a way to uh, provide awareness uh, that, first of all, technology uh, is touching everything and will be touching everything, and also demystification of this of these type of technologies, that aspect. So um, the, this theory is targeted girls, yes, um, in order to actually uh, encourage uh, the um, these learners to, to participate more actively 
Uh, and also because, like I said, I mean, it, it will be touching. It's a core for everything, and not just uh, a tech tap on demand. Actually, AI will be touching all different industries, from art to lawyers to accountants to transport mm. uh, and so on. On the 13th till the 15th of this month, AI in Africa heads to Johannesburg, South Africa, to partner with the Gauteng Provincial Government and African Women and Youth, that is Way Foundation, at the 5th Annual Gauteng Youth Career Jobs and Entrepreneurship Expo in Nasrik. Talk to us about that. So as you know, June is the month, um, we remember the 16th of June 1976, and on this day, youth were demanded a, a better education. So we honor uh, the youth uh, by continuing this effort to deliver education that will allow uh, SA youth to compete uh, with a peer everywhere in the world. So we participated, we created a separate type of initiative at uh, the Youth Expo. In fact, we have two different types of events. The first one, as you mentioned, the 13th to the 15th. And here, um, we're actually bridging new ecosystems by bringing the film industry, uh, technology of the fourth industrial revolution, AI and augmented reality. We bring the challenge to, to um, kids from, um, mostly from Tabisa and Soweto. They are going to build a social superhero. They're going to create a trailer, role-playing, actually as directors, actors, and so on. So they're going to create actually a proper trailer, a movie trailer of, uh, say, 60 seconds. And on top of that, they're going to create an app an application which enable augmented reality to identify to to uh, release that uh, that that um, that movie that they've created on different type of uh, support. So actually, we're also demonstrating one that we can apply design thinking to all kinds of social challenges. Two, we want to create an awareness around a concept of a, a holistic concept around super citizens. So we teach also a lot about ethics, ethics in in technology and where technology sits into our society. And, and three. Uh, they actually come up with an output which can, you know, uh, an output that, will, that is very concrete, uh, pragmatic, and that can be done anywhere in the world without necessarily having coding skills, actually. And that's why also part of demystification of the technology that is so fast, so quick to implement, that you can apply to different type of contexts. The most important is actually identifying the problem. Mm. So the Youth Expo will feature various activities and those are some of the activities. Take us through all of the activities that will take place at the Expo. Yeah, so, um, so for the Halemem Atlantic Foundation aspect, um, so we have this boot camp. Uh, we have also dialogue on uh, which I invite uh, everybody to, to, to participate. It's a free event. Uh, a dialogue on the super citizen and skills of the future. Uh, former President Khalima Mafante will be uh, doing a keynote uh, speech there. And then we have different type of, uh, of um, panels. And what's interesting about that is that actually we bring some youth uh, who are going to moderate the panel with experts in education or experts in the corporates. That's on the 17th. But in general, the platform uh, Youth Expo um, uh, offers a, a wide range of platforms from Super 1 million to different uh, exhibitors of entrepreneurs. Um, across uh, heart and, and it's a, an opportunity for, for youth across the region to, 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 to look, to identify, to, to be aware and to learn about various opportunities and careers that can be uh, open for them in, 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 the, in the near future. Um, so it is very much, um, I think, uh, it's a great opportunity. Uh, it's definitely an opportunity available to everybody. So uh, whether you are uh, a learner in high school or out of school, all of these are actually open and there's different dialogue that can enable you actually to, to learn, to participate uh, and to take something out of that. And most importantly, I think it's about creating access also. Mm. For those who want to attend this event, how do they go about it? Do you just come there or do you have to register somewhere? No, you can come just there uh, directly or you can go to the Youth Expo um, site. 
But ultimately, it's a free event, so all all the people can just go there, you know, and 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 it's finished uh, for. Um, in our case, we do, we have the bootcamp, so this one is actually a bit selected for 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 certain number of schools. The dialogue is open to to everybody. We have a drone demo also on the Saturday, uh, which is open to everybody. So so really, it's a, you know, there's a wide range of activities, uh, different dialogues, all of them pertaining to uh, opportunities, career, education, uh, in in the in the in, in the in the country uh, for the future. That's Mustafa Zawini, technology advisor at Kalemomotlante Foundation on the line talking to Lebohang Mabange. It is now almost quarter to six and it's time for our economics news. With your latest business news, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Kenya will spend $97 billion in the new financial year. National Treasury Cabinet Secretary Henry Rottich has been presenting the budget in Parliament. The country is expecting to reduce the cost of electricity by 20%, while also taking measures to mitigate negative impacting crops. The spending plan is set to lower the budget deficit to 5.6% of the gross domestic product. A long-term study by the Centre for Social Development in Africa at the University of Johannesburg in South Africa has found that the recent contraction of the economy places further pressure on unemployed youth. The study also says that bold strategies are needed to address unemployment, which currently stands at 39% of South Africa's 15- to 34-year-old labour force. Three key findings in the study found that youth employability programmes contribute positively to young people's labour market outcomes. Offering matching services and financial capability training seems to have positive effects on employment. Analysts say mining production in South Africa may remain constrained in the months to come. The comment comes at the back of the latest mining production data released by Statistics South Africa, which revealed a 1.5% decline in mining production during the month of April. Stats SA data indicated that the biggest contribution to the decline came from gold, iron ore and chromium ore. An economist at Econometrics, Laura Campbell, explains. We did see that um, the five-month strike at Sabania Gold came to an end in mid-April, but this obviously didn't play a major role in boosting growth um, in the month. Um, Unfortunately, commodity prices are likely to remain fairly subdued, and that's because of the um, ongoing trade war um, between the U.S. and China. Oil supplies could be at risk if waters around the Strait of Hormuz become unsafe. This follows an attack on two tankers earlier on Thursday. Iran's navy rescued 44 sailors and all from the Japanese-owned Kokuka Courageous and the Norwegian-owned Front Altair after fires broke out on both vessels. The Front Altair was carrying ethanol from Qatar to Taiwan, while the Kokuka Courageous was carrying methanol from Saudi Arabia to Singapore. The attacks have been labelled as suspicious, as Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe meets with his Iranian counterpart. 
on extensive and friendly talks. Car giant Volkswagen says talks with Ford concerning electric vehicles and automated driving are close to completion. Manufacturers are increasingly banding together to foot the massive investment required to develop next-generation cars. Mercedes-Benz maker Daimler and BMW are working together on automated driving, while BMW is developing electric motors with Jaguar Land Rover. The U.S. dollar is trading at 356.82 Nigerian Naira, 10.70 Botswana Pula at 99.91 Kenyan Shilling and at 13.16 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.85 Brazilian Hale, 64.67 Russian Ruble, 69.30 Indian Rupee, 6.92 Chinese Yuan and at 14.76 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,334 and platinum at $806 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $59.90 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Time now for our sports news with Neto Chamani. Thank you, Tracy, from the sports desk. A very good afternoon. Starting off with cricket news. The International Cricket Council, ICC, wants the commentators at the World Cup to be fair in their observations and has denied censoring West Indies great Michael Holding for criticizing match officials on air last week. The Caribbean great was aghast at the string of umpiring errors during the West Indies-Australia match at Trent Bridge and termed the standard of officiating astrocious. According to a Times of India report, Holding's outburst prompted a letter from ICC's production partner asking the 65-year-old to tone down his criticism on air. The report said, Holding a former pace grade and an equally respected TV pundit has replied to that mail saying he did not intend to go down that road. On to hockey news. South African men's hockey team is seeing a revival as they pulled another hard-fought victory over Russia, 2-1 in a crossover quarter-final FIH series match played today in Bubaneswa, India. SA's goals came from the informing Mobile Nduli and Ryan Julius, while the Russians fired home a penalty corner through Georgia Arusha after goalie Rasi Peters had superbly saved a previous attempt. Vice-Captain Kinen on today's game. It was really one of our toughest games. If you look at it, we didn't play our best hockey going forward and, you know, it was open, open semi-final, classic or quarter-final, classic knockout phase. But in saying that, like, you know, those sort of victories in knockout games doesn't matter. No one remembers how you played, but that's the way you got through it. And I think the team showed a lot of character last night. I think the boys 
you know, came together nicely, showed a bit of fight, which this team has been asking for a long time, you know, and that think we, that puts us in good stead going forward. In football news, having enjoyed a fruitful campaign with French side Strasbourg in just in the just ended season, Bafana Bafana striker Lebo Mutiba now has his sights firmly fixed on conquering the continent at the African Cup of Nations Afcon in Egypt. Mutiba reflects on a season where he banged in 11 goals and helped his team win the Coupe de la Liga trophy. Yeah, um, we had a good season. Uh, Strasbourg, we did well this season. Uh, we did great games and we also won the, the, the cup game. Everyone um, did well, uh, starting from the um, staff, coaches and uh, everyone. And I'm very happy with also the season I did. The 23-year-old now wants to follow up on his exploits and help Bafana Bafana do well in a competition they last featured in four years ago. Though it remains to be seen how coach Stuart Baxter will utilize the option of the towering Feldweg as the target man up front, Mutiba is likely to lead Bafana's attack with Pesitao as they go in search of goals to get them past the group stage of the biennial tournament. Mutiba rates Tao highly. Me and Percy, we talk a lot, we close friends and we laugh together, we communicate. So when we get to the field, it's even easier because, you know, we, we close, me and him, and uh, we communicate well, we give, we give, we motivate each other and the balls, we give each other balls and, uh, it's, you know, it's nice playing with him. I, I enjoy playing with Percy because uh, also I bring uh, me and uh, Lars, uh, we bring a different style of play because we are strikers that, you know, we can keep the ball and the midfielder they can carry off us. So, yeah. Bafana flew off to Dubai on Tuesday, a Middle East trip that sees them face off in an international friendly against Ghana on Saturday before heading for Egypt where they have penciled another friendly match against Angola on the 19th. And finally, in softball news, South African men's senior softball team is gearing up for the World Championships in Prague, Czech Republic, from from tomorrow until the 23rd of this month. South Africa is in Group B, comprising of tough teams such as Australia, Canada, Denmark, the Netherlands, Singapore, United States, and Venezuela. Australia finished as runners-up at the 2017 World Champs, while Canada finished third with New Zealand winning the tournament. SA President Mashilo Mazzetela says they have top teams in their group. In our group, uh, yes, we would like to qualify for the top eight. We are in a group uh, which is a bit uh, balanced. We'll be up against uh, Denmark, the one that we beat. We'll also play against Czech Republic. Uh, we're going to be facing USA, uh, Venezuela, and uh, yes, another team, I uh, forgot. But these are some of the the best team that will be playing against uh, like Argentina. So we do have uh, top teams in our group. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. Stay tuned for programming news and sport from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto N-E-T-O Chamani. This is Africa Digest.
Recapping the top stories this hour, Nigeria hosts an anti-corruption summit and Ugandan health authorities record the first case of Ebola after a five-year-old boy became the first cross-border victim of a highly contagious disease. Well, that wraps up Africa Digest today from myself, Tracy Bumgard, producer Leander Mayome, technical producer Wiseman Magdalene, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you for listening. For comments on the show, you can send an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven, or you can tweet us at Channel Africa Numeric One. Taking us to the top of the hour is Promised Land by Younger, featuring Soweto Gospel Choir and Amanda Black. Oh